Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This episode is part one of two parts with Aaron Gillespie from Under Oath. And it was such a good conversation that it went on so long that it had to be split into two parts. So this, in part one, we talk about how we both grew up in the same exact hometown and his experiences growing up honestly pretty poor and then him getting into drums and how his parents really instilled a lot of confidence in him in an early age that he could go and do it. That leading to him meeting Under Oath and the band forming, and specifically the question of his very first memories of meeting the guys and what his first impressions were. And then I had a really fun crossover moment where Tim from the band was on the podcast as well, and I asked them both a very similar question of when they both had the feeling of Under Oath becoming a legitimately big band. And their answer, I don't want to ruin it, but their answer was very, very similar. So hearing those two sides crossover was so damn cool. And then we kind of just talk about like those early days of Under Oath all in general and, and just how much energy was there, them writing Chasing Safety, all these cool, cool stories. So that's part one. Part two will pick back up with him playing drums with Paramore, then him coming back to Under Oath with a whole new wave of inspiration and what he's currently up to as a songwriter and how he differentiates his artist projects between the almost Aaron Gillespie, Under Oath, and even a lot of what he's doing as a songwriter outside of that, what inspires us, what inspires him, where he sees the future of music going. So just all around like a crazy good series of episodes. And then in addition to that, there is a bonus Patreon episode, which is a lot more of us talking about like our favorite books, our favorite podcasts, our strange love for cars, and kind of like how we get out of the way of ourselves as creatives sometimes, like the feeling of sometimes you're super hype on what you're doing and other times you hate everything. So it's just kind of more of a candid conversation of us chopping it up about that. That's at patreon.com slash where are all my friends. And then as a bonus to hook up hopefully a diehard Aaron Gillespie or Under Oath fan, he was kind enough to hook up a mystery item that we're going to give away to somebody who's listening to this podcast. Might be some signed drumsticks, might be a signed drum head, or maybe another relic. I don't know yet. He's going to surprise me. But anyone can win that. Just share this episode. That's all it is. Just post it on socials. Make sure to tag him and I. We're going to give that away to a lucky listener or viewer. I think that says it all. Let's get into part one. I'm so excited for y'all to hear this. Where are all my friends? Aaron Gillespie. This one is a long time coming. It's about damn time. And I'm genuinely so excited for two strange reasons. One, we are both from Clearwater, Florida. And I feel like we've got some like specific cross streets to talk about on that level. <laughs> and then also, I have talked to one of your band members and your manager on the podcast. And there's a couple stories in their uh, podcasts that I'm curious. I want to tie some pieces together. So, I, dude, I'm just hyped. I'm so Fuck happy yeah. you made this happen. Thanks for having me, man. I, I'm I'm really stoked. Big fan of the show. And um, yeah, like we were talking about before, I, I'm just a fan of the medium of podcasting. So, yeah. All I ever want to do is talk to interesting people. So to be able to just kick back and chill after a Hell day, yeah, dude. have a good conversation, like this is That's it. The best. We did it. That's the best. That's why We've we already it. succeeded in the podcast. We win. We haven't even started. We win. Okay, see you um, later, man. 
Yeah, dude, this was great. So good to Peace. see you. There it is. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, okay, so right before we started recording, and maybe that'll become a bonus episode because that was such a flow, but just the fact that your parents worked so, so hard and you really didn't come from anything, yet you've always been a musician and you've never really had to like fight against that like you've known and you've been on that so like yeah, explain yeah. that to me in growing up in that area i mean it's hard because like someone asked me the other day and it wasn't it wasn't like an interview or like someone asked me like how long how long have you known or like it was like two questions in one. It's like how long have you known or how long have you been playing but it was all the question was like framed like did you always know it would work or something like that and i was like no and i i don't remember like the ethos the nexus of me beginning to play an instrument or anything but you know like you just said i grew up food stamps the whole deal um we grew up in the same town i grew up on in on the bad side of the tracks as they yeah. say um yeah and like i can remember being a kid and my parents just were so my parents got divorced when i was young but they were both so supportive of like if you want to do it do it you know, I never like, and I drums was my first thing. And I, my dad traded a job. My dad had a lawn business that I got to, I, I got the wondrous privilege of working for every summer, but, um, <laughs> uh, lawn business in Florida, you know, living the dream, but, um, dude, he, he traded a job to a guy, um, in Bel Air, which is like the nice part of town, you know, it is. Uh, he traded a, a job to a guy in Bel Air for a drum set when I was six years old. Um, and so they were always so supportive. Like I made fucking noise, dude, like playing the drums. Um, so for me, like it was never a question of if, if, or if or not I was going to do it forever. And the funny thing is, is like my parents didn't squelch it either. You know, like I, it's weird. Cause like, it seems like growing up, like not extremely financially fortunate or whatever your parents would be like, you know, go to college get a fucking job, make a bunch of cash. Like it didn't happen for me. Like we said this before we started recording, like no one knew, like we didn't know. I didn't know we were poor. You know yeah. what I mean? I was just like, whatever. Like I didn't know. And I think that that created like a, a drive that was like, if, if you don't know you can fail, you can't really. Right. Like I didn't Dude. know that like, if I failed, nothing would change from how I was living. Do you know what I mean? Which Dude, was in a, in a format where I didn't know that we were poor anyway. So like, if I would have failed, would it have mattered? You know, and, and I don't think so, you know. And granted, I think it's different. You know, if you started at 30, like, I think it's different. But I was a kid, so it was, you know, there was no, there was no maybe. It was like, it's going to happen. And if it doesn't, like, I didn't have anything to lose, you know. I'm just obsessed with that, though, because like I have this conversation so often of like, yeah, cool. Maybe you didn't come up with like cash, like money in this like super wealthy, privileged family. Sure. But I think that that mindset and that like if you grow up at six years old and you never once question like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Your parents never say like, we'll have fun through high school and then you're going to have to get a real job or something like that. Like. If from that age you're constantly just encouraged and you have that mindset for that long, I think that is magic. And that's so much more wealth than, you know, getting the N64 on Christmas or whatever. For sure. I didn't get an N64, just for the no, record. No, me neither. I was always so jealous. 
but that's okay. I don't care. Whatever. Now. I don't care now. I'm th- I'm 38. Whatever. <laughs> no, dude, it is it is it is a it is some form of like backdoor magic, right? Like, because you didn't know you had anything to lose, so it was fine, you know. And I think about man, this is crazy. I just thought about this as we we're talking about it. Like, I have two kids, and I think about yeah. my own kids, you know. And my own kids, compared to how I was raised, are rich as fuck. So mm, like, yeah, I'm like, what's it gonna be like for them? Yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. Like when they decide what they want, and I'm not saying like we're rich as fuck, but I mean comparative to like, yeah, compared to food stamps and like food stamp roughing line. it, yeah, yeah, like which I didn't even think was roughing it, legitimately because you like, have I, nothing to compare it to. You I live have loving in, parents, and you. I lived in Greenwood, like we talked about earlier, which is which is the rough part of town, you know. But there was yeah. a gas station at the end of um end of our road, and they would take food stamps like from kids. It was sick. Like my mom would give mm-hmm. me a $5 back then food stamps weren't on a card. It was a piece of paper. Yeah. And you could take that fucking piece of paper and you could buy a, t- a shit ton of candy and they yeah. let you have it. And I always, I didn't even know. I was like, oh, sick. Like, and I was always that giving sounds my- sounds like you're the richest kid on the block with that. Yeah, I was like, What's this up? is sick. So I wonder like, you know, when my kids grow up and they decide what they want to do, if it'll be different because there won't be that like, they they factually won't have the fuck it attitude that i had because they can't you know what i mean like they didn't come up that they're not going to come up that way and i'm thankful you know i'm thankful that i can give my children what they want and then my son has two xboxes not one two you know like i'm thankful that that, yeah. that he has that but i also think like it's going to be different for them you know I what i mean oftentimes like, wonder about that because I, I i think that my circumstance and the way i grew up shaped who i am and a lot of totally. the good parts of that. So as totally. a parent, that's wild to think about. I think about that and I don't even have kids. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And I try to like, you know, I try to simulate it somehow. I don't want my kid to have food stamps, but I try to simulate it like, you gotta do this to get that. You know, we play like a little yeah. bit of a, there's a little bit of a game of roles in our household where it's like, you know, if you want that thing, you got to do this to get it, you know, and it could be whatever, you know, whatever the, the this to get it is. But yeah, 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 dude, it's weird. It's definitely, it's definitely a weird form of magic, but I'm thankful for that. At least, you know, I'm thankful for growing up that way. And there's, there's probably things that we both have that are fucked up in our brains that we probably need therapy for from those years, but also like it creates the good stuff too, you know? So I, yes, yeah. absolutely. Too real. Okay, so again, my favorite part, like I love when I do an interview with somebody that's done a billion interviews or a podcast with somebody uh, because I don't have to, I can just go to all the, I can just selfishly be like, cool, this spot, this spot, this spot. And I have a couple moments with your story. So I know Clearwater, I know Florida. I know that all of the Under Oath boys are very like proud to be from Florida and like take a lot of pride because that, that scene was not a lot like we didn't have a lot to work with so if you if you made music in that tampa saint pete clearwater area Mm. not even orlando because there were bands out of there it was a slightly different scene but there wasn't that much there so the fact that you aligned with those guys and started doing what you were doing from there is like relatively small town vibes crazy lightning in a bottle kind of thing that happened rarity what are your first impressions of meeting the guys how did that happen i mean 
it's so crazy how it all came together. Like, if you think about like the local band under oath days when like like two thousand, yeah, we, I played drums in in a church, and someone's dad saw me playing drums on a Sunday morning, and the next day I had a phone call on my answering machine from Dallas, the original frontman of Under Oath. Like, hey, we got a band, and this is how crazy the nexus of Under Oath is. Hey, Let's this go. is one my my parents' answering machine. Hey, we got a band. Wanted to know if you wanted to play some drums. So the next day, these dudes show up. This is how crazy my parents were when I really think about it. The next day, these dudes show up in front of our house in like a, a, a Corsica with an amp in the back. And they're like, yeah, we're going to drive to Ocala to practice. So Ocala, that's two hours. It's like 100 miles, right? I forget exactly how far it is. My, I was like 16, right? I got in a car with these strangers and went two hours and stayed for two days and practiced with Under Oath. That was the beginning, right? That's how it started. <laughs> Why Ocala? I, that's where Dallas lived, the original oh, frontman of Under Oath. Oh, he lived okay, in Ocala. Okay. And I don't know how, like, they just heard that I was good or something. Dude, it's fucking crazy. And oh then my God. we played around town, whatever. We played at this place called The Vineyard, which was another church that had like shows on the weekends. And this is even how weirder it is. Like, that's where we met Tim. Tim okay. joined the band. Grant joined the band. James joined the band. Spencer joined in 03. Oh, so you're pretty OG. I am the OG. I'm the only like true OG. I mean, we're all OG. Oh, wild. Like, it was a local band until really 2003. But I'm the OG OG. I am the, well, me and Chris. Chris joined like, Kind of right after I did. My first impression of Chris was he was a nerd. Um, mm -hmm. He went to school with Dallas. Um, and he's always been so nice. Like yeah. for years, this is, I've never said this to anyone. <laughs> for years, I was convinced it was fake. I was like, this dude is a <laughs> fucking dick when he's, when he's behind closed doors. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's truly real. Um, I love that. Tim, Tim was, it was and is so energetic um, and was he never talks about this, but he was like the best skateboarder out of anyone. Really? Like, him could like ollie onto the back of a truck bed and shit. He was so good. So good. He probably still is. No one, he won't do it anymore though. Um, and then Grant, Grant is the only one who his dad had a pool at his house, which we thought was so sick. <laughs> um, and I met James. James was the last one before Spencer joined. This would have been like 2002. James was living at Grant's house as like a roommate. Okay. And we had lost like one guitar player. They were one of the original like local band guys. And James was like, I'll do it. And, and so when I met James, he was painting. The first day I, he was painting an, an, a case for an amp. He was in another band with Grant and he was painting a case that he had made, which is so James because he's so exacting and like <laughs> everything has to be his way. Uh, and then the linchpin, kind of the last piece of the puzzle, um, with Spencer and the vibe when I met Spencer was like, we're just brothers, just meant to be. Like he was dating a girl that was best friends with Chris's now wife. And so they always saw each other, Chris and Spencer. Um, and we needed to, we had asked our, we had asked Dallas to leave in 2003. Um, and we had some obligations to play like, it was like three, I can't remember. God, it's so long ago. We had some obligations to play three or four shows. I know one was in Alabama in Birmingham. Um, and we didn't have a singer, frontman. And 
Chris was like, I'm going to ask Spencer if he'll do it. And Spencer was in this band called This Runs Through. And you couldn't get Spencer out of the band his because it was with his brother. So oh, we wanted, shit. so Spencer came and did these three shows. And it was so strange because the first rehearsal we did, we just started writing They're Only Chasing Safety. Like we learned the songs eventually, but it was like, we just went straight, straight for the guts. It was the weirdest thing. Like I can remember, like we just started. It was the weird, like no conversation about it. We just, we got this idea. What do you think? And it was just started. So he did like three shows. And I think I might've said this in one other interview years ago, but like Spencer never joined the band. <laughs> It's like you go to a bar and you pick up someone and you go home and like the next morning you're like, you want to go for breakfast? And then like- I just never left. It just keeps going. He's officially not in the band, I don't think. <laughs> like 20 years in. So there's a kind of vignettes of my first impressions of those guys, you know? And I think that, you know, the funny thing about you ask, no one's ever asked me that, but like, I think, so you're doing your job well, but I think that like nice. the funny thing about it is those first impressions I had of all of them, like- so much of that is still there now. I love do, that. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do. Like so much of that is still there. Like James is exacting and always like everything is protected and built out. You know, Chris is just fucking nice. And it's just, he's the only, he's the only truly nice person that I know. Tim is, <laughs> Tim is inspiring because he's so full of energy and it never stops. You know, yep. like, it's, it's, you know, Grant is funny and just doesn't really give a shit about anything. Yeah. And Spencer's my brother, you know? Like, we just, yeah. we just make shit together. We always have. Like, dude, we just do it every day. I talk to Spencer every day. Every day. I I've talked to Spencer every day for that. 20 years. Even when I quit the band. We might have had like a two or three week falling out period there because he was fucking pissed off at me. But like, yeah, yeah it's weird how, it's weird how you, you can ask a question like that and it kind of, you flooded my memories and my emotions with that question. It's funny, man. It's so well, funny. Dude, it's like, I, I think that like the, the very specific moments of the band and the, oh, this song and that specific drum part, it's like, yeah, that's cool and all that. But like, yeah, y'all formed this brotherhood so yeah. long ago and it still holds up. And like that started somewhere like that, those early moments. And I'm like, tell me everything. And I just love hearing things like that. Like, it's just cool to me. It's so weird because like, I don't even know, like, you know, we got back together in 20, 2016. I was playing drums for Paramore at the time. And we got, we got, we started like a group tat chat in 2014. And I had quit the band in 2010. And then the band broke up officially in 2012 or 2013. And we started a group chat in 2014. And I hadn't played with them in four or five years and um they were like should we do i don't i think it was grant grant started the group chat he's like should we do a 10-year um they're only chasing safety show started as a one show thing so us us being here now started as a is a thing about one show and i was like i don't know like it'd be sick and then <laughs> it'd be sick and then tim was like what if we did a tour of both records to find the green line they're only chasing safety i was like that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> and they're like, let's wait two years. Like we were playing the long game. And I was sort of just like, because at this point I was in, I was in Europe with Paramore and it was a lot of work and I was gone all the time. And, um, and it's, we did that one tour and it was, it was wild. 
and then we just kept going. Like, I don't think we've officially gotten back together, but... <laughs> it's like Spencer joining the band. Dude, it's so weird. <laughs> he That's... did one reunion show, and you're like, well, like, guess we maybe write an album now to or be something. Fa- to be know. fair, it was a tour, but like, yeah, I mean, we just... That's kind of... It's kind of just who we are, I think. You know, we all do lots of other stuff, you know, um, but I think it's just such a piece of us, and I... And I think maybe that's why it's continued to be good is because we, there's nothing about it that's fake. Yeah. You know, like I truly like down to like the logistics of it, like it don't make sense half the time. You know, there's nothing about it that's manufactured. I can say that, you know, Yeah. other than like a photo shoot or something. You you feel it though. Like I, I, again, like I do have that personal firsthand experience of hanging with you guys when you're being just yourselves. And then, yeah even being out on a tour with you guys for a little bit when I was working with limbs. I remember that. Yeah. 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 So like I've seen it through and through and there, there's something that I'm so interested in with y'all's dynamic because it is different and it's, it's very organic, but then it's also like y'all don't fool around when you're together. Like you, there's this drive and this, this obsession to make something like your live show and all of these bits of it. I'm just like, Jesus, like you just turn all together, turn something on where I'm just like, it's fucking cool. This is real. Yeah, dude. I, I, I think a lot of it is like, none of us started this and started touring full time and all that to make it quotation marks, you know, like we did it because we loved it. And we loved yeah. each other and we loved the music. And I think that it's cliche and kind of cheese dick as it sounds like when you put something in pure, I think you get something out, you know, like when yeah. you put in pure stock, like pure time, pure passion. Um, and so now for us, it's about protecting that, you know, like we've made a lot of mistakes, you know, especially with each other, like socially, but yeah. we, ca- I can say this for under oath that we have we've done our we've done our own shit do you know what i mean like we we never like well they said we had to do it this way and i hate it and you hate it we're gonna force each other to do it you know we've never ever done that ever not ever not ever you know there might be like an early morning thing you have to do or some bullshit but i'm talking about like the ethos the shit that matters the ethos and the art of under oath you know like we've never ever um sold out on that if so to speak you know so i think that's why it feels serious you know as we that's a protection thing you know and i think i feel we feel like we owe it to each other to like protect that i've never thought about that it's interesting man yeah i don't know like okay yeah so check me out another piece of the under because i want to talk a bit about under earth but then i want to specifically talk about a couple things with you for sure the one other spot with under oath is I asked this question to Tim and I loved his answer so, so much, but you start the band and all of this starts happening and chasing safety and define the great line. Like, it's just like, again, this like lightning in a bottle kind of thing Hmm. for you though. Is there a moment, a specific moment that you can point back to where it clicked in your head where you're like, oh shit, like we might actually be doing something big here. Like, are we a big band? Like just a, a, yeah. a moment. I can, I can pinpoint the exact moment. Let's go. Um, I don't know what Tim said, but I'll tell you, I'll tell, I listened to Tim's episode too. I can't remember what he said though. So I'll tell you I'll mine. tell you his after I remember okay. it. So 
Mine was in 2004. Um, band in a van roughing it up until then, right? And we got the offer to do Warp Tour for no money on, in 2004. Um, Zero dollars. It might have been 200 yep. bucks a day. Some I don't fucking remember. It was like a joke. And it was... um a stage called the smart punk stage, which was a state like warp tour. You remember warp tour? You had the big blow up thing with, with the scheduling. Yeah. We didn't get to be on that schedule. So yeah. you had to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Self flyer. I remember at one point, some representative of our stage had like made a schedule every day on cardboard and would just tape it up on the blow up thing. And we'd get in mm -hmm. trouble for that. <laughs> but the stage was built every morning by, um, one guy, it was like a representative for Smart Punk somehow, like the stage manager, and then this band called Underminded. And Underminded, uh, Nick from Underminded plays guitar for Sleeping With Sirens now. Um, and the rest of those dudes, I don't know where they went, but that summer was like, The Bled was on that stage, was fucking sickest band. Oh, um, shit, they were. Can't, I can't remember who else. Oh, I, feel, I feel so bad about it, I can't remember. From first to last, a lot with Sonny Moore, Skrillex singing. Oh my God. Yeah, so that summer, we had got a bus and I don't even remember it. We didn't have a manager yet. I don't know how we rented a bus. I don't even, we didn't even know buses. Like we knew they existed, but we rented this bus and it was horrible. It was an 82 Eagle. So it was older <laughs> than all of us. And it broke down constantly. Like, so for the majority of the tour, we were riding in different places. I spent about a month in a van with Skrillex and from first to last sleeping for three hours a night because warp tour in a van is not a thing you do, you know, because the nighttime is the only time the tour travels. And if you don't sleep at night, you're fucked. So if you're in a van, so some of the guys rode with the casualties, some of the guys rode with story of the year. There was most of the summer. We didn't see each other at night because, because we you had to just ride with whoever you can, whoever. And at one point we rented an RV and then that thing took a shit in Baker, Oregon. Um, oh my God. Just crazy. Dude, it was wild. But that summer, June 15th of that summer, Warped started earlier back then in the summer. Yeah. So June 15th of that summer, Their Only Chasing Safety came out. And when we started, we'd play for 100 or 200 people a day. And we thought it was sick. You know, yeah. like, we're like, this is so sick. Like, we were, you know, telling people our set time every day. And, like, I feel like it was like an incremental thing. And Warped Tour felt I think it was like eight weeks back then, but it felt like a lifetime, you know, like it. Mm -hmm. And every week I feel like I, you could sense that it, like people would sing along sometimes and there'd be like 500 people and you're like, wow, you know, 500 people was like a fucking, it was like a C at God status. Yeah, yeah. Like how do you, yeah, yeah, that's it. And then I'll never, this is when it clicked for me is. Yeah. We were in Boston and it was the final day of Warp Tour and every day the crowds had been getting incrementally larger and it was it was awesome, you know. And a couple days before that Boston show, Coheed and Cambria asked us to be direct support on their fall tour. And to us, Coheed and Cambria at the time was huge and we were like, no way. Like, no way. So we were like six. We said yes to this tour. We're fucking crushing. Like, we think it's the best, you know, whatever. So excited. So we're in Boston. And that year, the used wasn't on the tour, but the used at the time, you remember that first used album, it was huge, dude. Oh, massive. They came and played that show in Boston. And I was such a fan of that huge, that, that first album. Yeah. Of course, so I wake up in the morning, you use the fresh porta potty. Yeah. I go look at the schedule and we're playing during the used. And I'm like, what's the point? Like, that was it every day, right? It's like, 
you get your set time and then you go yeah. compare set times and make sure you're not playing during taking back Sunday or you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 And, and so we, we, uh, we're playing during the used and I'm like, it's fine. You know, what yeah, you're sucks. Like, well, that's, we had a bunch of other good shows, so we can play to no one today. We climbed up there that day and there were thousands of people at our show. And I realized that day and the energy was like, it was electric, you know, like it was like people knew every, all the songs and that summer it grew, it, it grew, you know, by degrees, but that yeah. day it clicked for me, you know? And I think Dude. if you asked our band, each guy would have a different answer possibly. But I think for me, that day was the day where I was like, you want to hear the craziest part sure. is I, I'm pretty sure that the summer, the moment that Tim is talking about when I asked him that is that same summer. And you can is tell it? me, but he points back to a I'm moment go back on and Warp listen. Tour as well. And I wonder and now, so his moment, tell me if it's this year, but it's a DIY stage and y'all are in Atlanta and the security guard it oh was like you guys you're God. starting to get like the album is out people are showing yeah. up it's going from 100 to 200 to 300 and he talks about this day where they started to break the barricades in the stage <gasps> and it was in atlanta and he's okay. like okay <laughs> is it the same it's different day but same summer so this was like a like a like a week before properly. So this was like yeah, when it, the whole fever. I can't fever, believe you both it, pointed back to the same yeah. summer. Yeah, that's wild. So this, that day, I, I'm not to retell the story, but they didn't build our stage. I know, I want to hear it. Tell they me didn't build our stage that day. Um, You know, the stages are warped where they're built at on the back of trucks or whatever. And ours yeah. was like built on these, like, it was like an erector set type situation. Yeah. But that day, sometimes on warp Tour, you know, they build the stages on the amphitheater stage. You've been to Warped Tour enough. You understand how it works. So that day there was like this acoustic, like beer stage outside of the amphitheater where they put the smart punk yes. stage. And we broke that motherfucker to the ground. Like it was like made of wood and stuff. Yeah. And he talks about a wooden stage. Yeah. So the crowd like stormed the stage and broke the barricade and the police showed up. It was a thing. It was a scene. And we met Kevin Lyman that day. That's how we met yeah. Kevin Lyman. Yeah, like Kevin, Kevin came over. He's like, what is going on? I thought we were done for. Dude, I, thought, I talked, I had Kevin on the podcast and I brought that up and I joked, remember? I was like, you had to be all like, pretend like you were mad, but deep down you're like low key, like that's punk rock as hell. Did he remember it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Dude, it was, it was wild. That was, that was, that was pretty soon. That was pretty close to mine. That used Boston story. I told you. Um, yeah, dude, that summer though, weird. I think maybe, maybe now that I know Tim told you like a similar story, I wonder if everyone would say that summer. I don't know. I don't know. I'm so curious now. You got to ask them like, just like separately when you're talking to them, be like, Hey, what moment did you know? That's so see? weird. And I, I don't know if it was like a, a knowing of more than it was like, Oh, it's going to be all right. Mm. You mm. know, like yeah. that's, we did one more tour in a van after that summer and we never got back in a van again after that it was wild man like that's fucking cool it was wild i feel like so i feel like tim says this sometimes i don't know if he said this to you but he's like we kind of stepped in shit that's how he says it you know like that's the phrasing yeah. the vernacular that mctague uses is like <laughs> we're so lucky you know because like so many of our peers and 
people we grew up with that I, in my opinion, are better musicians and whatever, like they didn't get that experience, you know? And I don't know why we did, but I'm thankful, you know, for that's sure. That's so fucking cool, dude. That's so cool. And I, I love, like, that's my favorite thing that you guys both point back to that summer. It's so, it was, dude, it was wild. God. It and I also wild. love that you were just like riding around with from first to last and sunny in a van. Like, dude, fuck, that's cool. I was a that huge was just fan me. of from first to last with him. Oh, it was just it, you. It was just me. Everyone else was somewhere else. I don't, we should ask them. I don't know where they were. Dude, it was the craziest thing. And our merch guy was somehow like storing our shit on someone else's bus or, but I, yeah. dude, it's wild. Like, yeah. that shit would never happen now. Like, dude, <laughs> that's crazy. like, what a formative crazy summer like that it's so nuts how many things just point back to that little Dude, magic moment in time if i can be honest like <laughs> it was the best summer of my life like dude it was awful right like yeah logistically and like in every way that you can like it, it, everything that can go wrong but like it changed our lives and i think that like, if you ask me right now, like, the summer before the shutdown, we literally toured with Alice in Chains. Like, my heroes. Yeah. Like, yeah. in front of 20,000 people a night. I had more Massive. fun this summer. I had some more fun this summer before. But doesn't it fucking suck not knowing that you're in the good old days when you're in the good old days? Like, you didn't know that when you Dude, were, you were in a worst. fucking van with from first to last being like, hope we show up today. Wonder and if I'll Skrillex. find my guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Dude. But you don't you, know you that Sonny's not Skrillex yet. He's just some young kid that's screaming his heart out, doing his best with from first to last. And everybody was just trying to make it happen. And you don't know in those good old days. But of course, now as we talk back and look at it, it's like, holy shit, that's magic. And oh my God, of course I understand that. But it's it was just... so much better than like <sighs> anything. You know, and I'm just so grateful that like, that it worked. You know, but I'm also yeah. grateful for how it worked, I think, you know, like I think it's kept us and I've, dude, I've, if I'm being real with you, I've definitely had times in my life where I've been conceited and an asshole, you know, mm. cause I'm like, we did it. But like now in my late thirties, I look back at it and I'm just so thankful we did it the way we did. And I think it kept us humble, you know, mm. like we didn't like put a track up on TikTok and get 4 million plays while we were asleep. And I think that's fine yeah. too. I think that's such a cool medium and I'm glad it all works. Like I'm not one of those old guys who's like Instagram ruined my life. Like I think it's all great straight up. Totally. Like I love it all. I love it. Like I work with those kids every day. Like I'm in it, you know, but yeah. like I like that we did it the way we did, you know, because I can, I feel like I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? It's funny. It's I haven't so talked about good. that summer in a long time. Random, random. You pulled out the random deep cuts, dude. Yeah, because this is this is what I get for being able to selfishly do a podcast. I have no I format it. to follow. I'm just like, I'm interested in this, 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 and this in I your love career. It. What's up? So sick. <laughs> Thanks for playing along. So sick. Dude, Ripping, so dude. to jump to uh, to my next point. Let's go. You played the drums for fucking Paramore, dude. I did. That's crazy. For like, for like five years, four years. And like four. a very special era of Paramore like yeah. a wildly cool era of paramore yeah it was um what was that like 
All right, so there's the end of part one of Aaron's story. We're going to pick back up next week right at that spot of him talking about playing drums for Paramore and then that leading to this whole new wave of inspiration for Under Oath and for him as an artist and a songwriter and what's coming up for the new wave of Under Oath and what they're up to and what he's up to. So that's a really cool part two that I can't wait for y'all to hear. Again, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend, share it on social media, tag both him and I, and we're going to give away a little bonus mystery item. And there's the bonus Patreon episode. That's patreon.com slash where are all my friends. And make sure you subscribe so you get notified when part two comes out next week. That's a simple one. YouTube, click the subscribe. Apple Podcasts, wherever it is, Spotify, you know how to do this. If you're listening here, I don't need to tell you how to subscribe. You know how to do this. Make sure to do it. I will be back next week with part two. There it is.